Hey, my name is Matt. I want to welcome you all six of our locations, or maybe you're tuning in online, or somebody said, hey, take a look at this. They gave you a CD or a link or something. Hey, we're glad you're listening. We're glad that uh, you are here today. Before we jump into part one of this new series called Unstoppable, I want to pause and just sort of talk about something. Last weekend, we had Compassion Weekend where we had an opportunity to take kiddos that are in extreme poverty all around the world. And then we said, hey, for 38 bucks a month, you can really uh, change a life. Well, hey, let's celebrate for just a minute. Six locations, 905 kiddos will uh, get released from poverty in uh, in Jesus' name. And, and that's 905 kids that in a couple of weeks they're going to hear they've been sponsored. That means they will never, ever have to worry about food insecurity. That means they will be able to get enrolled in school and have school supplies. That means if they get sick or if there's a threat of malaria or HIV, they will have precautionary things that will happen to them. And then once a week, roughly, they will get to go to a church or Sunday school environment and hear about Jesus. And God did something through you. Now, here's the deal. I have been praying that we could get that number to 1,000, okay? So there were probably some of you who last week you weren't here, or you're like, oh, I need to think about it, pray about it, I need to go crunch some numbers. So at all of our campuses in our Connection Center, we have packets like this. I'm holding Stephen. Stephen is from the Dominican Republic. He's priority because he's been waiting for a long time. You're going to go there. Uh, take out your credit card, debit card, whatever, and you'll fill this perforated thing out, give it back to the staff member, the volunteer, the bridge builder, and, uh, and then in a couple weeks, little kids like Stephen will hear, uh, and this number will grow because I think God can do that through us. So today, you have uh, that opportunity. Packets are in all of our lobby spaces. Hey, not only is today just a great day to kind of push us over and get us to 1,000, today is a great day for you to be here. Because we're going to talk about just church and who we should be and what we should be about. Now, if this is sort of like a foundational message, what has to be fundamentally in place for us to be a healthy, effective, faithful church. So, you know, you might call, if like academic language is good for you, you might say, hey, this is 101 stuff. Everything we would ever do builds on this. So maybe that's like reading. Everything we do is going to build on reading. If you're like an athletic person, a sports person, this is like the blocking and tackling, the dribbling and shooting, the basic stuff that no football team is going to be better than they block and tackle. No church is going to be better than the stuff that we talk about here today. This is fundamental stuff. So if you're like new to church, new to Christianity, you kind of get to hear a very raw, open, this is what it's all about. And and so we're just delighted that you're here. If you're like a rock bridger, you come here, hey, this is just going to be a let's get back at the core stuff that should make us the unstoppable force that God has ordained the church to be. So to talk about this, I want us to talk in a big picture setting for a minute, the fact that everybody here has what we would call dreams, right? You have a dream uh, of something that's active in your life that you're pursuing, that you're wishing, that you're hoping for. Now, when I say dreams, I am not talking about the uh, nocturnal drama that some of you have, and, and you wake up and you forget it, or you wake up and you try to remember it, and what does it mean, all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the dreaming you do in class, so the teacher calls you out, or the dreaming you do while you're driving the car and you almost hit something, not daydreaming. I'm talking about something that you sort of hook your life to, or your day to, or your week to, or whatever. You hook yourself to this, and it pulls you, it pushes you, and you pursue it. 
right? So, so dreams are just a big part of us because we're all being pulled by something, being pushed by something. And, and, and we're going to talk about today why that is such a pit, critical part of being a human being and why it's a critical part of who God created us to be. Because the reason you dream and I dream and we have these things that we are driven toward and defined by is it's really part of our birthright. We were born with this capacity to have hopes and to have ambitions and this capacity to dream. It's part of our birthright. It's just part of what it means to be a human being. And, and what I want us to see is, okay, the guy, the God, the intelligent being that made us and made all this possible and, you know, the oxygen level is just so right and the distance from the sun is just so right and he put us here and he created this thing called earth that sustains our biology and all that kind of stuff. What was in his mind when he created you, when he created me? What was he dreaming when he created you, when he created me, when he created the earth? And, and we're made in his image and he dreams and he's God and we're made in his image so we dream. Here's what was in his mind. Isaiah 43, 7 says it this way. Bring all who claim me as their God. So the people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus. For I have made them, God created them, us, for my glory. And the glory is the single greatest adjective that I can give you to, to think of when you think of God. Glory, eternally, majestic, big, massive, awesome. Like, you, you know, you see a sunset, you see its glory, you go, you see a great painting, you see a great athletic play, you see God. Glory, right? That's, that's, that's what he's talking about. So we're made for that. And then he, go, and he repeats, he goes, I, it was I who created them, and he had glory in mind. Now, now, here's where that starts to challenge us, and here's where that starts to push, us, push up against you and push up against me. Is my dream as big as God's, God's glory? Because we're all pursuing a dream, and what happens oftentimes is we shrink our dream down to, hey, I, I just want to have a good time on Friday night. Hey, I want to have retirement one day. Hey, I, I want this to happen in my job. I want this to happen for my kids. And all that is good and well. But if the core thing driving us is not the, the glory of God, and it's not that big, we may have settled for a dream that's too small. And, and so I want you to hear me rail that means I'm going to go against something, right? I want you to hear me rail against a version of Christianity that is too small. And, and when this gets preached and when this gets modeled in the church, then Christians go out into the world and we're not pursuing God's unstoppable dream. When we present Christianity as fire insurance and a 911 number to God, that is way too small. That's not biblical Christianity. When we present Christianity as a tradition and a ritual of something you do at Christmas and Easter and something you occasionally do on Sunday, that is not, you know, equates to the glory of God. That is not Christianity. I am so sorry for those of you who grew up in a church and it was, hey, you don't want to go to hell, so don't do these four things. Pray this prayer, feel guilty, come back next week and more of the same. I am sorry because that is not Christianity. Christianity is life. Christianity is pursuit. Christianity is seeking something bigger than us. So you were made to dream dreams bigger than you. Bigger than you. And so let me say this. If our dreams as a people of God are not intimidating to us, they could be insulting to God. If our dreams are not intimidating to like, oh, I'm not so sure if, if it's hey, I just want to have a good time Friday night. I mean, come on. That's not the glory of God, what we're talking about. So if they're not intimidating to us, they could be insulting to God. Now, we have to be aware of something. 
because everybody dreams. Everybody dreams. And we have to be aware of what I'll call bad dreams <clears throat> or counterfeit dreams, that there's other dreams that will grab us, that, we're, that we would want to pursue. There's other dreams that we want to chase. There's one of other dreams we want to be about. Even Jesus was tempted to pursue a bad dream. Satan pulls him aside, right? And he says this to him, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4, takes Jesus to a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. See, everybody's going to chase glory. You know that? Every single person in this room, every single person listening to me, every single person you lock eyes with out there, they are all chasing glory. That's the dream. Is it the glory of a good play? Is it the glory of a good degree? Is it the glory of a big bank account? Is it the glory of a bunch of people liking me on Facebook? We're all pursuing glory. And so the tempter comes along, and he's going to show you what I call horizontal glory, meaning it's worldly glory versus vertical glory, God glory, and he's going to pre present that. Now, your presentation looks different than Jesus's, but we all get presented with a bad dream. The devil takes Jesus up high, and he showed him all the kings of the world and their glory, and said to him, all these things I'll give you. Satan's got power over false dreaming, and he gives him the big word, the if, if you pursue me. And so that was a horizontal dream. Of course, Jesus says no to it. But here's the thing we have to understand. We can be pursuing a dream, and it's a bad dream, and it can have purpose, and it can feel good and be pleasurable, but it can be stoppable, too. It can, it, it can disappoint. It can let us down. It's not what we were created to pursue. In fact, King David kind of gives us an example of a stoppable dream. And we read this in uh, Psalm 46. He says, don't be afraid when a godless man becomes rich. See, a lot of people, that's their dream. He says, when the glory of his house is increased. And notice the, the glory. There's, there's all this glory. We're all going to pursue glory. And he says, so when his glory is increased because he's getting rich, don't, be, don't worry about that. For when he dies, he'll carry nothing away. His glory will not descend after him. And right there is a good buzz and a good filter and a good understanding of, hey, is, is the dream that I'm chasing, the glory that I'm pursuing, when I go, does it go away too? The, the, the challenge of this dream right here in a bad dream is, look, it's too small, it's too short-lived, too small, too short-lived, and it's too selfish or it's too self-oriented. This guy, hey, his, he talks about the glory of his house, and his glory will not descend, doesn't, doesn't live after him. And, and so I, I get burdened that sometimes in, in our culture and in our context, and I'm not immune to this temptation, that we get enamored with small dreams that aren't God's dreams, and those dreams are going to disappoint because they're stoppable by the economic cycle. They're stoppable if our health goes bad. They're just, they're, they just lead us astray to deceitful, dark places. So I read this quote the other day, and it, and it struck me as great, that so many of us are defined by the smallness of our surrenders. And, and you know, so we're all surrendered to someone or something. We're all going to surrender, right? We surrender to wherever, what's going to give us glory, what, what we're pursuing, what's pulling us, what's enticing us. Some people, you know, they're going to surrender to, hey, I've just got to have a girlfriend all the time. That's my glory. That's where I find it. Okay. That's a small, you weren't created just for that. Some people, it's like, I, I, my career, my career, my career. Okay, that's fine. God called us to work, but it's too small for your soul. 
And, and, and so the smallness of our surrenders tells me, look, I am created to surrender my dreaming to something massive, something big. And we've already discovered in Isaiah, that's the glory of God. And you have to have that vision that you are here. Doesn't matter what kind of job you have, doesn't matter what's in your bank account right now, doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you are here to surrender and pursue a God-sized dream. And when it grabs you, it just changes everything. Listen to how Paul presents it as a prayer in Ephesians 3. Now, all glory to God, remember, that's it, that's the, it's the glory word, who is able through his mighty power at work within us, and look at what he says, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Some translations say more than we might ask or dream right there. Infinitely more, meaning my mind can't comprehend what God wants to do. My mind can't comprehend how God wants me to live and what God wants me to live for. And he says, glory to him. He continues, he says, glory to him in the church and in Christ through all generations. So in our generation, glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, Paul says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Paul surrendered. Paul's not surrendered to sex. He's not surrendered to money. He's not surrendered to a career. He's not surrendered to American dream. He's surrendered to the Lord. And he said, I beg you, would you lead a life worthy of your calling? That's a, calling's a dream word, isn't it? What we're called to do, what we're put here to do, what we're created to do, for you have been called by God. So I, I want Rockbridge, I want us to remember why God put this church here 17 years ago. Those of you that have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, why God did that? What, what's this God dreaming about? So to do that, we're going to ask what I'm going to call the big question. The big question, because not only are we defined by our dreams, we're defined by our questions. How many of us, you know, we ask this, how you doing? How's your day? They're okay questions. What's God's will for my life? It's an okay question. But this question, I need to remove Matt Evans. I need to remove myself from the question. Because this question is really the big question of where my life is going to go and is my life going to intersect what God is doing and the unstoppable work of God. And so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with. What is God doing in the world? Now, now let me say this. It's totally fair. Some of you, you're here today and you're like, hey, Matt, I'm not even sure how I would answer that question because I don't even know if God's in the world and my life looks godless uh, and if there is a good God, he seems absent. And, and that's a fair question. I'm glad you're here. And, and listen, we want to help you. We want to meet you in that, love you in that, care for you in that, okay? That's why we're together, okay? I, I get that. Uh, others of you are like, maybe you've forgotten what God is doing in the world. But I want us to ask that question. What, whether, I'm in, whether Matt Evans is in the world, Rockbridge is in the world or not, what is God doing in the world? Whether I live to 100 or, or, or die in my sleep tonight, what is God doing in the world? What was God doing in the world before I got into the world? What will God be doing in the world after I leave the world biologically? That's the question to be a part of this unstoppable movement, this unstoppable dream, because God's dreams always become reality. And I searched for this in, in the scriptures, and I found the answer in a very 
weird, unlikely place. And, two, and the verse we're going to share, a guy named Matthew Ladd said this is the single most important verse for the church today. Single most important verse for the church today. But, but let me tell you where this verse is found. It's really interesting where it's found because Jesus, at the end of Matthew and Mark and Luke, he starts talking about what's going to happen before he comes back the second time and establishes his kingdom. And so this is all the left-behind kind of stuff, earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, the second coming, the Antichrist stuff, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's kind of talking about that stuff, and then in between that discussion, he inserts one sentence in, Matthew, or in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, one sentence that answers that question. It is the question we've got to wrestle with to, to really say, hey, am I dreaming what God's dreaming, and am I a part of what God's doing? And here's, here's, a, here's what he says. It's so simple, so powerful, and so clarifying. Here's what he says, Mark 13, 10. The gospel, good news, must first be preached to all the nations. That's it. The good news of what Jesus has accomplished, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, must be preached to all the nations. So, so before we go to God, and he's not hidden this from us. Let me be clear. He's not hidden this to us. So before God gets rid of all the earthquakes and the hurricanes and the tornadoes and the natural disasters, before all of that, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Okay, uh, but, but that's, that's his priority. It's first. Before God wipes every tear from every eye and there's no more death, there's no more crying, there's no more mourning, there's no more grieving, there's no more pain, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. That is God's priority. You can even say this. Now, listen, this is how it gets kind of weird for us. Uh, you know, God, I, you know, I really want to be married, and that's my first priority. God would say, hey, I, I hear you, and I, and I want to answer that prayer, but the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And we got to start ranking ourselves. Is my priority God's priority? Is my pursuit God's pursuit? If God is being pulled and pushed by this dream, is this church being pulled and pushed by this dream? That's what God's doing in the world. And note it, break it down three ways. What's the core activity that God is doing? The gospel being preached. That's the core fundamental activity. I, I know. We would sometimes love, God, I wish you were into just healing everybody that got cancer. That would, I wish that were your first priority. I hear you. I've lived that prayer. But that's not God's first priority. I, I, I know we wish we could say, God, I just wish there could be peace in the Middle East. I hear you. I, I've prayed that prayer. I've deployed there. But the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. I, I know, I know, I know sometimes we would be like, God, I, I just wish this problem or that problem could get resolved. And, and, and God hears you, but this, this is the priority. It's first. So the activities, the gospel preached, the priority is first. And look at the scope. Nations. Now that's not like Afghanistan, Russia, China. That's ethnic groups, languages, people from different, quote, tribes, and ethnos is the actual Greek word. So that's, that's what, that, he said, that's the scope. That's a big, big, big dream. And God wants us to prioritize his dream because his dream will become a reality before Jesus comes back again. So what we need to hear to align our dream with God's dreams are three things. The first thing is this gospel, which means good news. We need to hear that we are all invited by the gospel. 
The gospel is the core message of Christianity. It's Jesus crucified, buried, and raised. Jesus died for me. Jesus died instead of me. Jesus died in my place to liberate me, to adopt me, to ransom me, to be the the atonement for my sins. Jesus did all that to bring me into a right relationship with God, place me in his kingdom forever, place me in his family so that now I'm a son of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the gospel is for people from all walks of life. It's that kind of invitation. It's that kind of news. Now, let's be sure we're clear on on what we mean by the gospel, because this is fundamental Christianity. Fundamental Christianity is the gospel. So first, we start with God. God existed and has existed forever in eternity in glory. That is an overflow of his, crea- of his glory. He made the heavens and the earth. He created, and what he created was good, and what cre- he created was perfect. There was nothing bad in it. And then he said, hey, I want to create people in my image. And he gave us an identity, and he gave us authority, and he said, here, here's your job. Here's your responsibility. Here's who you are, and go live your life, and be fruitful, and multiply, and flourish, and have peace, and make families, and make cities, and make culture, and, 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 and glorify me. That's what you were created to do. And in the first two chapters of the Bible, it was perfect. There was no sin. There was no cancer. There was no tornado. There was no bad weather. No bridges collapsed. There was no bad deeds. DNA, there were no bad genetics, it was just perfect. But then we took our little bit, our, the freedom we had to choose, and we rebelled. And rebellion resulted in brokenness and distortion. So the world we live in today is not the original plan of God. It's not the original plan of God. There's brokenness in my DNA, so I will eventually die. There's distortion in my, the living of my life. I don't, dis, I don't display the image of God correctly. It's distorted. Creation is distorted. So we have earthquakes and we have hurricanes. Families and marriages are broken. You turn on the TV and you hear about this and you hear about that. You are hearing about the consequences of human rebellion and God said, instead of wiping it all out and starting over, he adopted a strategy called a rescue. And he sent Jesus into our brokenness, Jesus into the distorted creation, and Jesus was here on a rescue mission and a restoration mission, that through Christ, he would pay our debt. Through Christ, he would live the life we failed to live, die the death we deserve to die, so that in Christ, we might be adopted, we might be made new, we might be placed in the family of God forever, and that is the gospel. And here's the beautiful thing about the invitation to the gospel. Every problem you and I have is resolved and solved by the gospel. Now, now, now you may, I'm not sure about that. What problem do you currently have that cannot be placed in one of these three categories? Do I have value? What's my worth? What can I hope in that won't disappoint me? Why am I here? Because let's just go big. Let's say you get the news you or someone you have has cancer. Is God punishing me? What do I hope in? Now why am I here? Right? Let's say you're a teenager and you're like starting to think about life past high school. Life past your parents. Who am I? I can't play football or go to school forever. Why am I here? 
Man, I've depended on mom and dad for so long. They, they were my anchor, but I've got to move out or move on. I mean, what's my hope? Let's say you're 40. I'm 44, and you're like, that midlife crisis, you know? I, hey, I think about getting a younger wife or a better sports car, right? We, you got, you know, because you're thinking, man, I've only got half my life to live, and I, I, might, be, I might have missed something. I, might, I don't want to miss out on anything in my 80, 90, 100 years. Um, what can I really hope in that may, you know, gives me value and purpose? So, so all of that. You ask all of that question, right? When 9-11 happens, why did church attendance go up? Because suddenly people just went to work randomly, 9 to 5, go to work, do what every, all of us do pretty much every day, and 19 crazy people with bad theology can wipe out 3,000 Americans. And suddenly the America starts saying, well, man, <laughs> I used to put my hope in my career and two towers just fell in the biggest city in the country. My purpose used to be my career. My, my worth was taken away by a terror. You get it, right? I mean, you, you live it. So, so the gospel eternally answers those questions. Do I have value? Yes, Jesus died for you. Every single one of you. All the nations, right? Gospel must first be preached, right? Well, why, why am I here? Well, that gospel has got to get preached. Well, do I have hope? Yeah, you got hope past the grave. Cancer can't take your hope. The stock market can't take your hope. A Supreme Court ruling can't take your hope. A bad football season can't take your hope because your hope is alive. And your, that living hope is called Jesus Christ. So tell me honestly, what problem does not get solved by the gospel? I can't think of one. And I've been thinking about this for about three weeks. I can't think of one. And this is why, Rockbridge, please hear me, we can never graduate from the gospel. A football team never graduates from blocking and tackling. You know, a student never graduates from being able to read and do basic math facts, right? You never graduate from certain things. Now, here's what happens in the church. I'm speaking to church people. If you're not a church person, you're off the hook for the next two minutes, okay? Here we go. Watch them squirm. Here we go. Listen. What happens in the Bible Belt is you think, and I start to think, man, I've heard that gospel so many times. Give me something new, preacher. Give me something new. Go deeper, go deeper. Parse a Greek verb. Tell me the Hebrew. Hogwash. You never graduate from the gospel. Let me tell you why. You never graduate from the gospel. Because every day you and I wake up and we're in a battle. I'm in a battle. My head comes off the pillow. My feet hit the floor. Where is my worth going to come from today? Where's my hope going to be today? Where's my purpose going to be today? Is traffic going to be bad? Oh, my goodness, my day is ruined. Uh, you know, I'm going to open my email on Monday morning. Am I going to get a zinger because somebody didn't like the sermon, and I put my hope in all of you liking the sermon, and that just got dashed, so now i got bad hope. I don't think I'm valuable anymore as your priest. I'm in a battle every single day. And everybody you lock eyes with and everybody you're sitting next to is in the exact same battle. And that battle has already been won. Your worth has already been given. Your hope has already been provided. Your purpose is established in the gospel. And so we can't graduate from the gospel. And then here's the thing. Everybody I bump into needs that hope purpose, and worth. So I can't graduate from it. It's core 101 blocking and tackling church. 
So I've been invited by the gospel, but the gospel makes me a new person. Gives me a third race, so to speak, right? Gives me another identity, and it puts me together with other people, irregardless of skin color, irregardless of what neighborhood you live in, irregardless of your educational status, and that's the church. So I now get included in the church. I'm included in the church. The church is not a building, it's a we, okay? Look at how Paul says it. He says this, our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. So powerful, right? You're included in the church. You might, have gotten, you might never have gotten picked for the team in fifth grade kickball, and you're still mad about it. You can be a part of the church. In fact, if you've given Jesus Christ the steering wheel of your life, you are included in the church. Now, when I say church, I mean a movement of gospel-carrying, gospel-preaching, gospel-breathing, gospel-living people. That's what I mean. I don't mean these four walls. I don't mean 11 o'clock on Sundays. So here, I want to ask you to make a commitment, Rockbridge. Would you never say they in reference to the church? Never say they. Never say those people. You, you know, every now and then I'll have lunch with a Rockbridge, and they'll say, well, y'all. I'm like, no, there's no y'all. It's us, baby. I do my part. You call me. You hire me to do my part. And my part's not the major part. We all have a part. We all have a part. Included in the church means, man, I got a part to play. Part when we gather and when we scatter, I got a part to play. So don't say they in reference. If you're a rock bridger, man, this is your deal. This is your family. This is your spiritual movement that you're a part of. You don't see me as, the, as a they or those people. You are an owner. You're a partner. You're a stakeholder. You're we. You're me. God's we. Boom. That's the church. Now, so we're invited by the gospel. We're included in the church. The church has a mission, and we're asked to be involved in the mission. Let me say this, and I'm going to be big, and I'm going to be bold. <clears throat> the mission of the church is not to turn the lights on every week and say, we heard a great sermon, and we had some pretty good singing, or we heard an okay sermon, but that solo was really great. That is not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is not to maintain an institution. The mission of the church is not to satisfy a bunch of customers. The mission of the church is this. This is how I'm going to say it. I got it up here. I want, you to, I want you to hear it. I want you to internalize it. Is that God saved and satisfied children. That's key. So we have been saved from our sins. We have been satisfied by the gospel. Worth worth, hope, and purpose, all that in the gospel. I'm satisfied. I, God doesn't drag me to heaven kicking and screaming, right? I want to go to heaven. And if Jesus isn't in heaven, I just want to go where Jesus is. If I'm in the boat and he's on the water, I'm walking to Jesus, baby. That's what I want. That's gospel. If Jesus tells me to leave the Navy and come back to Dalton, Georgia and start a church, I'm saying yes to that. If Jesus tells me to go over there and talk to my friend and tell, give them hope, I'm saying yes to that. If Jesus gives me a job and I got that job, I'm saying yes to him in that job. If Jesus gives me kids, I'm saying yes to him with my kids. If Jesus gives me a paycheck, it's yours, Jesus. I mean, I'm satisfied by Christ. So I've saved from my sins. I'm going to avoid a Christless eternity. I'm, but he saved and satisfied children will show him and speak of him 
to the world that's in need of him. That's mission. God saved and satisfied children, the church, invited by the gospel, including the church, involved in mission. Show him, speak of him to a world in need of him. And remember, remember all the nations, that's the world. You'll never lock eyes with somebody who does not have a hope, worth, or purpose problem or a sin, sorrow, death problem, who's not asking, who am I, why am I here, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with the world, what can be done about it? All that gets answered in the gospel. So a world in need of him. Hey, Matt, I I work with some non-Christian people. Amen. Hey, I go to work and I'm the only Christian there. Yes. Hey, I think God's calling me to go on a mission trip. Amen. Yes. You don't even need to ask him any more questions. Just go sign up and go. Hey, I, 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 I think I ought to maybe, maybe sort of kind of ought to sponsor a compassion kid. Yes! Well, I didn't have a burning bush experience. Do you need one? When God's told us, this gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So I want to ask you to make two commitments on this one. Involved in mission, two commitments. There's two lies of Satan. Satan loves to stop the church's involvement in mission. Loves to keep you on the sidelines. Loves to keep you and me on the sidelines. Loves it. So there's two lies of Satan. First one is this. People really do not need to see Jesus or hear about him. Don't push Jesus on people, Matt. Don't push Jesus on people. Would a loving God really send anybody to hell? Well, God's all loving and he's just. See, a lot of times, you know, once you forget about hell, make hell negotiable, what urgency do you have to tell anybody about Jesus? Here's the challenge I have with that, Okay. God is unjust, and God is actually unloving if there's no hell. There's a sermon there coming, okay? But hold, my, hold the thought. Every single person here has had a moment where you said it's not fair. It's not just. Yet as soon as we talk about God executing perfect justice, we're like, no, no, God, that would be unloving. Well, which one is it? God does both very well. He does justice very well. He does love very well. The reality is this, Jesus Christ, who I follow and this church follows, he rose from the dead, not me, so I'm with him, not you, okay, right? This is the way it is, right? He preached about literal hell. He came to save people from a literal hell. And I know that doesn't feel good all the time. I understand that, but listen, listen, listen. If our problem was feeling better about ourselves, God would have sent Oprah, not Jesus. But Jesus hung on a bloody cross for all the nations so we could escape that. He took our hell. He took my hell. He took my, my punishment. He paid my price. So I owe everything to him, and there's a world in need of him. So we can never, ever, Rockbridge, ever, ever walk out of these doors and say, oh, hell doesn't exist. People really don't need Jesus. I don't want to be too pushy. And we do it with wisdom and grace, and we'll get there in the next couple of weeks. And the second lie is this. Okay, okay, okay. I believe they do need Jesus. They need to see Jesus and hear about Jesus. But, but not through me. That one might be the worst one, right? That's the pastor's job. That's the spiritual people's job. No, it's our job. It's his dream, his priority. It's unstoppable. And yeah, God wants to do it through people like us. Because let me say this, okay? I have a story, and so do you. There are some people who will hear the gospel better through your story than through my story. There are some people who you'll ne- they will never come to church. They will never step through the doors of church to hear me preach. They're never going to turn the computer on. Hey, go listen to that sermon. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? But sitting at work, 
around the campfire, at the, at the water break, you know? Hey, why do you have hope? Hey, that sale didn't go through, and, you know, man, if that didn't go through for me, I'd be devastated. I'd be lost. You're not. Why? They'll hear it from you. Yes, God wants to use you. So, two things. We kick off our global trips. You can sign up to go overseas, robberies.cc slash trips. Go have a conversation in the lobby. We'd love for you to take a trip. We've got partners all over the world in this country, 11 different opportunities out of 2020. Yeah, I mean, yes, we're involved in mission. If, if you can go, go. If you can't go, pray and give. I mean, help people go. And then locally, we have this ministry we call Hope, okay? Hope is how we live it out in six cities and wherever God places us. The H stands for people who are hurting. It's hurting people, people in recovery, people in addiction. There's marriages that are hurting, people going through cancer, people going through pain, single moms who are paycheck to paycheck, baby, and we want to give them hope. The O stands for people who are outside the faith, people who don't have the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. They're lost they don't know Christ. They're not saved and satisfied by Jesus. The P stands for people in extreme poverty, people who are food insecure, meal insecure. We're in six counties. You know, in four of our six counties, there's a meal gap. A meal gap simply means there's not enough meals being served to feed all the people in the county. So like in my family, I got four people in my family. That means we need four times three, 12 meals a day. What if I only had money for six meals? That's a meal gap of six. Four of our six counties, there's a meal gap. So when we stand up here and we talk about food drops, that's real. That's brokenness and distortion, and we're called to put hope in that. The E stands for education and educational partnerships. We know that so many doors of opportunity get unlocked through education. So many of our schools are Title I schools, 100% free and reduced lunch, and we're just saying, hey, we're a partner to invest in kids' lives. That's hope. We, those are just ways we do this. I want to end, and I just want to share my dream for the church. I think my dream's God's dream. I'll refine it. I uh, just want to share it with you. I'm going to share it with you in, in this context. I want us to think about a member of the church, a mayor and an atheist, one person, one place. So for everybody that calls Rockbridge their church, this is your place. This is your people, right? Your spiritual family, the movement you're a part of. Here's my hopes for you. Number one, that you're loved. Loved. At number one, I just want you to be loved well. Now, loved well does not mean we tell you what you need to hear or what you want to hear. Loved well does not mean we wink and nod at sin. Loved well means we love you too much to not tell you the full truth of Jesus. We love you too much not to be with you when that relative dies. We love you too much not to help you pay the bills when you lose your job. We want you to be loved. Number two is you'd be discipled. You would learn how to live as Christ intends, because you want to please your master, you're surrendered to him, so you'd be discipled, that you, you don't stay the same, you grow in your journey, uh, we're all moving in a new direction, no perfection, but we're growing. And then the third one for members, that you're mobilized. By mobilized, I mean you understand how your life is meant to count for eternity. You know how to live your faith out in your job, in your neighborhood, on your team, or you're, you're able to mobilize and go to the nations, or you're able to mobilize and go meet needs in your community. So loved, discipled, and mobilized. That's my dream for the members of this church. Then let's talk about the mayor or the county commissioners of our six communities, wherever God sends us, and an atheist in those six communities. Here's what I hope the mayor and the atheist would say. Rock, our, our town is a better place because Rockbridge is in it. The atheist would say this, I don't think I believe anything they talk about in there, but I sure love how they live out here. 
That's my prayer and my dream. And then one person, one place. As long as there is one person in our sphere of influence that does not have a church home or does not, has not given Jesus their lives, we would see our mission, our work as undone. Dream not yet fully realized. And that we would be committed to doing whatever it takes to share the gospel with that one person. As long as there is one place where there's darkness or systemic evil or systemic hopelessness, our prayer would be, God, use us however you can to put light and hope in that place. If you need money, we'll raise it, we'll give it. If you need bodies, we'll go into that place, and we'll certainly be praying for the Spirit of God to fall and descend in that place. We're not satisfied, God. We're not satisfied with one hour a week. We're not satisfied, oh, we turned the lights on today. We paid all the bills this week. No, God, we are broken as long as one person and one place needs the hope of the gospel. That's the dream of Rockbridge Community Church. Now, here's what I know. Most everybody here today, you've got one person. And you're already in a place. So would we show up there and dream the big dream, the unstoppable dream, and pinch ourselves and say, God, you let someone like me give hope to a world that needs it. Thank you. Let's pray. Hey, uh, before, as we're uh, every head bowed, every eye closed, but let's try not to get up and leave early. Let's just sit in this for just a minute. God, I, I want us to worship you in our souls right now and just thank you that, that this. Christ, you came to die for sinners. And, and, and that, God, you demonstrated your own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, you died for us. May that grip us, grab us, capture us, conquer us, captivate us, and inspire us to worship and surrender to you, God, and your dream. That you, Jesus, died sinners. Thank you. And now, God, you take those former rebels and those former uh, traitors like Matt Evans, and you make me a spokesperson. You put a little saltiness on me. You let a little bit of light come through me, and I'm praying for more, God, to come through me more powerfully. But God, you, and then you put me in these places. So I can share the hope that's alive in me. God, may Rockbridge Community Church say yes to that dream. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.